Right, we've we've did, we've been we're for those of you who are new first time uh, or first time in a while, we are focusing uh, basically a small our small group initiatives, kind of defining the initiative at Vintage. We are focusing on this biblical understanding of love, and we and we said like probably you're thinking that this is one of the most over talked about subjects in all of church. It's one of definitely one of the most uh, over. Uh, overused words and songs that you listen to on the radio, right? And they're primarily idiots talking about love on the radio, right? They have no idea what they're talking about. Because the true biblical understanding of love is this understanding of agape love, right? Agape love, this God love, the love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That, which is the, the love chapter, means this. It means devotion in relationship, right? Devotion in relationship expressed in service in action, right? And so, so true biblical agape love, God's love for us and the expression of, the expectation of God, of God of us, of how we're called to love every day of our lives is that we're living in the context of these devoted relationships that we're in with our family, with our enemies, and we're hear that, with our, kind of the full spectrum, I just gave you the full spectrum, with our family and loved ones and with our enemies, we are called by God in devotion in those relationships to express service in action to them. Now, in our small group, we decided to go Greek on it, right? We talked about different forms of love, talked about in Scripture, the different forms of love talked about, at least in the Greek culture, right? You have eros love. This is the one that we we talk about the most, at least in love songs, right? This erotic love. You know what I'm talking about? You know, biblically speaking, between a husband and a wife. We And that's actually never talked about in Scripture, by the way. And then you have the phileo love, which is that brotherly love, right? Which is the primary love you see between the disciples. You know, Timothy brought it out in our small group that that's what you know jesus says to peter do you agape love me are you devoted with action and service and peter says back i phileo you right i have a brotherly love for you right and this understanding that that the expectation of jesus is that we're called to have this agape style love that this devotion is right and so this devotion in service and action and so when we then talk about this understanding of love, what I recognize is this, that love for you and for me, it's easy to talk about. It's easy to theologize about and talk about how God sees it, right? It's really kind of easily uh, inherent, it's inherent to our understanding, right? We inherently understand this context and understanding of love. But what I would also say is this, it is very easy to not love well. It's very easy to just really not do it at all. It's easy to talk about and never actually do and to, and to flesh out. So I would say that love is easy to talk about. How many of you have said to somebody in the last three weeks, I mean, I know we're talking about love, but... And you talk about it and so like it's, I mean, we just always talk about this, right? Almost some sort of derogatory, if you're honest, and sort of like, oh, we'll kind of push through this study if we have to, right? But the idea is this. It's because it's so easy to talk about, but you don't like talking about it because you've been so burned by it. And you know how bad you actually are at it. And we recognize, I would say this, let me say this to you. If, if the church actually loved agape-style-esque, I'm not sure there'd be any non-Christians in our community. 
If we loved well with the love of God in the context of our everyday life, I'm not sure there would be those who didn't know Jesus. Because they would so see the expression of love in action being expressed in your life. The reality of love. It's easy to talk about, but it's not easy to flesh out. The reality of love, I believe, is this. I believe it's measurable. And I don't believe it. I don't think it's measurable in a scientific way, right? I don't believe that you can literally pull out your beaker and your Bunsen burner and figure out something to do with love and measure it, right? But I do think it's measurable in this way. That in a matter of seconds, if I ask someone in your life, if you are loving, they can answer. It's measurable that in a, in a matter of seconds, someone in your life can tell me whether you are loving or not. Right? I say, Bruce, hey, hey, Nicole, is Bruce loving? She goes, eh, which really means, no, not very much. Right now, she would never say that, right? But you know what I'm getting at. That there's that context that if, I, if someone says, is so-and-so loving, you go, oh my gosh, you're like, eh, Right, trying to be nice, but the reality is really not so much. Because in our lives, our people, the people in our lives, they measure our ability to love two ways by watching us and by listening to us. The measure, the way they measure, is by your actions and the way that you're serving in this devotion of relationship. And then the words that come from your mouth. So last week, right, Scott spoke, and, and I've heard a lot of people, they just love Scott's message. If you haven't heard it, we podcast vintage242.com, and then go to resources, and you'll see sermons on there. I encourage you to listen to Scott's message. But I'm going to boil it down to you in a very, very overly simplistic way. He said a lot of great things I really need to listen to. But just for our purposes this morning, just to, just to overly simplify, he said, listen, there are p- difficult people in your life that are a gift from God because they're being used by God to teach you how to love. That's basically what he said in so many words. He said it a lot more eloquently and had a lot of other good stuff around it. But he basically said that difficult people in your life are a gift from God because they are teaching you how to love. I'll kind of put this out there. Patience. You can't express patience. Right? Remember, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not jealous. It is not easily angered, right? So it says, you can't express patience in life unless you are being tested by impatience, right? I'm not sure that's really a word. I think it's a word, right? That, that you can't show yourself not being jealous in life unless a situation presents itself that tests you to be jealous, How many of you this morning, you were tested in the context of a relationship to not be easily angered and you gave in, right? If you have children getting dressed on Sunday morning, I know your life. Get dressed right now or I'm going to show you what it means to be angry, right? Whatever it may be. Everybody's experienced that if you've ever been to church on Sunday morning, right? All of us, all of us in our lives, right, can say that difficult people, difficult situations are a gift from God because they're literally growing us in the context of love, teaching us 
how to be patient, teaching us how to not be jealous, teaching us how to not be envious when everything inside of me is pushing me towards that. In fact, if you were honest this morning, how many of you would say that when I just said my words or Scott spoke last week, a situation or a person immediately popped into your brain? Right? Now talk to people. Scott was speaking this like all sudden name right here. Everywhere I looked, I saw it, right? I saw this person's face right there in front of me. I can't get away from it. Oh, this is terrible. I hate that person. I mean, I love them, right? Whatever it may be. People there, situations of life. This week, because Scott spoke on it, it's his fault. Because he spoke on it this week, you were tested this week, right? It's all his fault. God said, well, I've taught you this. Now see if you can flesh it out. How many of you failed? Don't put your hands up. All right. The second thing is this. Beyond that, how many of you this week considered, listen, if you're involved in a small group, whether at our church or some other church, right? How many of you considered, don't raise your hands on this one, how many of you considered not going back to your small group because of something someone said, because of something someone did that just made you uncomfortable and you weren't real sure you wanted to go back? Let me tell you what God spoke to me very clearly this week. Right? I, I don't use that word lightly for those of you who are new. I don't go, God spoke to me, and then kind of give it out. But I was praying. I heard clearly on this one from the Lord. He, I felt like he said, he, said this, he said, Steve, he said, community, relationship, it is needed in the body of Christ because you can't grow without it. You can't grow in life, you can't grow in this ability to love. You can't grow in this ability to be patient. Right? You can't grow in any of these areas unless you're in the context of relationship in situations where these things are being tested. Relationship is the proving grounds, the testing ground for us in our growth in Christ. Listen, that's why by nature you prefer really to just kind of live by yourself because you can be come and do things by yourself and go on vacation by yourself and just do things by yourself. Why? Because you're selfish and it's easier to be selfish by yourself than around other people. And I would say if you're selfish, then you're living a life that's an antithesis to what it means to know God and to love God. And the only way love can be tested and proved and grown in you is in the context of relationships. Therefore, when you are in relationship and you're living in community with other people, praise God because the worst part of you is coming out. And when the worst part of you comes out, then you can deal with it and get rid of it. You can learn how to love well. So remember, love, it's easy to talk. Theologize and define. It's not easy to flesh out. So this morning, this morning, the, 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 the principle we want to focus on, there are two, but primarily one is this. Love is something that is seen, right? Something that is seen, it's expressed in action, and it's something that is heard both in spoken and unspoken words. You know what I mean? Now, how many of you know what your spouse was thinking yesterday by their unspoken Words, right? The words you know they were thinking, right? In that moment, the spoken and the unspoken words. So this again, love is something that is seen. 
expressed in action, something that is heard both in spoken and unspoken words. So to see this expressed clearly, I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. While you're turning there, let me give you the context of the entire book of James. James, James is the, he's this, the kind of the, the, the father of the church, right? He's the leader of the early church. And, and, and as a leader of the church, it's not that he's ever looking down on people, but he's looking out on the people of God, right? He's looking out upon the church and he's looking and he's doing this, which is why I'm encourage, I encourage you to do in your own life to some degree. He's looking at all, listen, he's looking at all these people in the book of James. He's, he's writing this letter to all these people saying, listen, there are so many of you out here that are literally recipients of his letter. He's speaking directly to them. They represent the church. He's looking at them saying, I'm looking over you. I'm looking at you and I have to be completely honest. You say that you are a Christian. You say that you're a follower of Jesus, but the fruit of your life does not measure up so you're not really a Christian. That's what he's saying. You call yourself a follower of Jesus. You call yourself a Christian, but I want you to know the fruit of your life does not measure up. How many of you know that if an apple tree produces oranges, it's not an apple tree? That's the point he's getting at. The whole book of James and the context of it is simply to tell us and to tell you and to tell me. If you're a follower of Christ, the fruit of your life, the expression of your life, your life will produce fruit in keeping with your salvation, in keeping you being a follower of Jesus. And he comes in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says this. If anyone considers himself, right, Let's just make this inclusive so the women can say, hey, he's not talking about me. If anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight run, excuse me, a tight rein on their tongue, then they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The last phrase, right? Because we're not going to focus on basically saying, listen, you can't live a life of sin, living your life polluted by the world and be okay with that and be a follower of Jesus. The world can't define how you live your life. It can't define your actions and it can't define your speech. Do you look more like Christ or more like the world? What's the fruit of your life, right? And so he comes in and he says the measure of the religious, right, are those obviously who are not being polluted by the world, but who use their mouth to build up Rather than to tear down. That's the, that's the kind of the context of the words that he's using of tight run, the tight rein. He's saying you're using your tongue not to tear down others, right? But to build others up. And he goes on, he says, it's also that you are expressing love to those that are in need, right? The orphan, the widow. You're looking for those outside of yourself who are in need, who have issues, who have problems, who, have, who need help. And you are coming alongside of them. You're encouraging them. You're speaking into their life. You're serving them in action and loving on them. James is saying this, the measure of the religious, those who are truly followers of Jesus, right? If they are really following him, their faith is pure, then their mouth is being used to build up rather than tear down. And the expression of a, listen, this is convicting for all of us, okay? The expression of their everyday life is to serve those that are in need. Whether it's their spouse, 
or it's their enemy. It is helpful every day, at the beginning of every day and the end of every day, saying, who am I going to serve today, and who did I actually help today by giving my life away for them? Because the fruit of a follower of Christ are these things. In fact, Jesus, when Jesus in, in, in Luke chapter 7, in Luke chapter 7, he is, he is doing miracles. He's healing the sick and the, 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 the deaf are hearing and the blind are seeing, right? He's casting out demons from those who are oppressed demonically. And John the Baptist is now in prison. He's about to be, be, he's about to be beheaded in a very short period of time. And he's watching, he's hearing the stories of Jesus, and he's really struggling. Golly, Jesus doesn't look like the Messiah that I was expecting. He doesn't look like, it doesn't sound like the Messiah I was expecting. And he sends his disciples, John sends his disciples, his own disciples, to Jesus. And the disciples come and say, John sent us to ask you, are you the one to come? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we expect Someone else. Should we keep on looking? Because you don't look like the Messiah that we were expecting. And Jesus, listen, defending himself to John. He's doing this because he loves, he doesn't have to defend himself, but he's doing it because he loves John, okay? He speaks and he says this, you go back and defending himself, okay? He's basically proving the fruit of his life, okay? He says, go back and report to John, listen, hear me, right? What you have seen in action and what you have heard. Love, remember, love expressed in action. How is it measured by what they see and by what they hear? Report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind who are ostracized and kept from religion, man, they're receiving sight. And the, and the lame, man, dude, they are walking. And those who have the skin disease and have been kicked out of the kicked out of the village, who have leprosy, they are cured. This is love in action, wouldn't you say? Let me go heal you. If everything that keeps you from being a fabric of society and being able to enter into the temple, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, right? And the good news is preached, spoken with words to the poor. The poor are the needy. The poor are the ones who are left. They're the marginalized and the oppressed. They live life on the margins. The world has taken them and pressed them, pressed them into subsidized housing over here that no one hopefully sees. They don't ever drive that way because it's too dangerous to go that way. That's what they've done to the poor. Right. Push them over to the side, living on the margin. Jesus, says, I'm going to them. I'm living among them and I'm preaching the very gospel that they never would have spoken over here in religiosity world. What Jesus expressing here was expressing to the disciples of John is simple. Go tell John that the good news, the gospel, the Messiah's coming is both expressed in love and action the blind seeing, deaf hearing, diseases being cured, the dead raised, and that love is being expressed in word. The good news being proclaimed or spoken to the poor, the very ones who needed it the most. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is the expression. Listen, you hear people say the gospel all the time. 
we talk about the gospel of Jesus, right? The gospel, the gospel of John, the gospel of, 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 of Matthew. We see that everybody talks about the gospel, the gospel, the good news. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the expression of love in action. And an expression of spoken word to the lost, separated from him who are in need. The gospel of Jesus is love in action and love in word to a lost world in need. Jesus, he continually, continually expressed his love in action and his love in speech. That is the good news of Jesus coming to the world. So we understand this expression of, of love in action. We've talked about it, but what I want to focus on to end our time is, is focusing on loving with words. Loving with words. Now we read earlier from, we read earlier from, from James that a person who does not restrain the words of their mouth, right? Who do not, who have no filter on the things that they say, listen, that they have a religion that is worthless. If anyone, you, if I, if I can, listen, I'll put it on my eye, on myself. If I consider myself religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on my tongue. I deceive myself from actually believing I'm a Christian, and my religion is worthless. You have to read Scripture for what it's actually trying to say, guys. He's, he's not speaking theoretically here of a theoretical salvation. He's talking about a realistic, practical walk with Christ and saying, if you're not, if your words, if you're not growing in putting a rein on your tongue, if you're not growing in putting a filter on the things that come forth in your mouth, then that's the expression of the fruit of your life and your religion is worthless. It's a pretty strong and practical statement. Basically, what it means for you and what it means for me is this. Our words matter. They matter in what you say to your spouse, to your girlfriend. They matter to what you say to your children. They matter to what you say to your parents. They matter in what you say to your neighbor. So let's just press pause and make it real practical. How many of you know people today that they're not in church today because of something someone said maybe 30 years ago? How many of you know people, how many of you today aren't close friends with someone you used to be best friends with, maybe because of what you said or because of what they said, and you just never could reconcile and have trust again in that relationship? Words matter. Scott said it last week. He said, sticks and stones break your bones and words will break your bones and your will. They break everything. They are powerful in nature, right? Our words matter. How many of you, listen, one of my favorite phrases for myself is this. I will say something. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can I just press rewind on that and go back like I never said it, <laughs> right? Like, oh, pull my words. Like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. I can't believe I just said that. Because I recognize how powerful words are. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's so evident in my relationship with Randall. I will say something, and it's like this. She's like this. She's like, I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> right? That was not the right thing to say, right? Words are powerful. Words matter. So what I want to do this morning, I just I'm going to read. How many of you ever heard of the message written by Eugene Peterson? It's his. It's his kind of. Just to kind of give you, uh, for those of you who are like, we got to read the King James version. Here's what Eugene did. 
He was reading the King James or the Bible with his, his small group, and they couldn't get it. They didn't understand it at all. So he said, well, let me just write it out. I'm just going to kind of, kind of, kind of, I'm going to interpret it, kind of put it into language that my people use and rewrite it. So he rewrote it, brought it in, and like revival broke out in his small group. Because all of a sudden they understood it and they took it and then compared it to what they read before. It says, oh, now we even get this, right? So the message, I would encourage you to get the message sometime. Don't read it as your only study Bible, right? But read it alongside of the NIV, the KJV, the NJKV, whatever it is. Or the NKJV, the, the I don't care what you, the NRSV, the NAS, how many Bibles are there out there, right? The ESV, the NESV, keep on going, the Living Standard Version, the land, Living Non-Standard Version, I don't know, right? All these things. But here's the message, written in language that we use today, okay? James chapter 3, you can read it on the screen. Don't open your Bible, okay? You can read your Bible after I get done with this. James chapter 3, starting in verse 3, he's taking the whole language thing and words to the next level. He says, a bit, you know what a bit is, and a, a bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse, okay? Little bit, big horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds, right? So big ship, a captain on the steering wheel, and a little bitty rudder back here used in powerful, difficult storms. And he says this, a word, a little word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or it can destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set up a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth, it can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world. We can turn harmony to chaos. We can throw mud on reputation. We can send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue it's never been done i've never been done the tongue the tongue runs wild is a wanton killer with our tongues we bless god our father with the same tongues we curse the very men and women he made in his image curses and blessings out of the same mouth and then later he paints a picture he says can salt water and fresh water come out of the same mouth. It should not be so. Do you see the nature, the power of the tongue? James saying, our words matter. They contain life. They can contain death, right? We must be people who, yes, love with action, but we must be people who also love with words. What does that mean, Steve? It means that your words, on a very regular occasion, in fact, more often than not, they build up people that you're in relationship with. They are building the people up that you're talking about. Listen, that you're Words are building up people that you hate and who are being rude and who are being mean and who can be classified as an enemy. Do your words this week, do they build up the person you didn't like or do they tear them down? Our words must be words that build up rather 
than tear down. James' point is really simply saying, listen, you in your own strength can never tame your tongue. You can't just decide today, oh, I'm going to go ahead and be better at not using my mouth for bad things and to tear down people. I'm going to decide today, oh, boom, here we go. I'm going to say positive, life-giving things. No, it doesn't work that way. The point of James is this, that, that you need a Savior to save every part of your life, including your tongue. That Jesus, when he comes into your life, when you go down into death and are raised to new life with him, the expectation should be, like the fruit, the fruit of coming out of the water is that now, the fruit that, 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 that defines the majority of the time of your life is that your words build up and don't tear down. In fact, that's the point James was getting at. Hey, I know, the, I know, I know if your tongue is untamed, where you stand with Christ. I just want, and it's healthy for us. It, it gives us a, it gives us an understanding. Wow, if, if I am perpetually living my life, tearing people down and saying negative things about them and never showing them grace and, and being difficult and saying negative things about them, then, then there is a part of my life that's desperately in need of being redeemed, of being saved, of being cleansed. And James says if you can continue, the fruit of your life continues to be tearing people down, then we question your salvation. I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm simply just making a point that our words actually matter. You can't just say whatever you want to say. That we are called as the people of God, yes, to express love in action, but we're called to express love with our words. So this week, here's what I want you to do. You can't do it yourself. You can't cleanse your mouth. You can't redeem it yourself, right? You need a Savior. You need Jesus to do this. And so here are four things that I want you to ask Jesus to help you do this week. Are you ready? Four things I want you to ask Jesus to help you do this week. Number one, ask him to help you to change the motivation of your words to change the motivation from which you speak when i train an india team i trained in teams i flew down to orlando just a couple of months ago and trained an india team i'm le- leading a team in april right i've led tons of teams i tell every single team that goes listen when you go watch how you speak because you can speak something and really means something else, such as, are you really going to wear that shirt today? Thank you. Maybe I appreciate that. Are you really going to wear that shirt today? Is that re- Oh, wow. Great haircut. Right? Motivation of our words. Now, those are simple things. The motivation of our words that we speak. That when we're, how many of you in a conversation and you're talking about somebody else and you're at, the motivation of your heart is actually to make yourself look better than them so people will choose what you're saying rather than what they're saying. The motivation of our hearts, right? Listen, when Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke difficult things to people. But listen, he always had love as its source. Jesus always had love as a, as a source of everything he said, right? He never spoke to tear down, but he always spoke to build up. He didn't speak words to belittle people, but to strengthen them. Even when Jesus came into 
into the temple and he was very frustrated and angry at the money changers in the temple and he drove them out. Do you know what motivated his action and his words? Love for God and love and zeal for his house. The disciples said later, we now realize that it says zeal for God's house. Zeal for his house would consume him. Love motivated him. When Jesus spoke in an in a antagonistic way towards the Pharisees, do you know what motivated him? A righteous indignation because they were using and abusing his children. He spoke these difficult words. He wasn't quote-unquote nice in the moment. Why? Because love motivated him to speak truth and honesty in a very difficult moment. The second thing that kind of ties into this is this. We need to ask Jesus to help us speak honestly. To speak honestly. Listen, we don't do anyone favors when we choose niceness over honesty. When we choose to be nice rather than to be honest. Chamberlain was very nice to Hitler. And Nazi Germany overtook that in all of Europe, because everyone tried to be nice, tried to be diplomatic rather than being honest and speaking truth into the moment. Listen, nice doesn't change anything. Nice doesn't move relationships ahead. How many of you knew in, in, a, in a situation, in a relationship, you really need to speak truth into a moment? But you kind of just were a peace lover and had peace at all costs. There is a huge chasm between a peace lover and a peacemaker. A peace lover is nice and peace at all costs. A peacemaker speaks truth into a moment, even though it may hurt for a season. Knowing that the only way you grow a relationship is by speaking honestly. Now, yes, we need to be smart about our timing. Be smart about our timing. You all understand that. But the phrase we see in Scripture that kind of ties into this is Ephesians 14, excuse me, 4.15, which Paul says, we must speak truth in love. We must speak truth in love. Now, the context of, of Paul's speaking is that Paul is commanding them in Ephesians 4 to defend the truth of the gospel. He's saying, listen, you must speak the gospel even in difficult situations. You must speak about the good news of Jesus even when it's difficult, right? You must defend the truth of the gospel by being honest, by being truthful, and then doing it. Speak the truth in love and by doing it in a loving way. And so my honesty then is this. by be, when, when I'm speaking honestly in situations, I'm being kind, I'm being patient, I'm not being rude, I'm not being full of pride, and I'm not easily angered in the context of it. That's the context of love, right? That's devotion expressed in loving service. I'm being kind. I'm being patient. I'm not being rude. I'm just reading 1 Corinthians 13, right? I'm not being envious. I'm not being full of pride. And I'm not being easily angered while I do it. Honesty. Speaking honestly into a situation. The third thing, and your mom said this when you were growing up, this please think before you speak. Ask Jesus to help you think before you speak. 
So practical, isn't it? So often our words, they're expressed out of uncontrolled emotion, right? Meaning we express our words in anger, or we express our words in sarcasm, we express whatever it may be, right? And we, sometimes we find ourselves tearing down other people. And these words, by through anger or through, even through gossip or even worse, slander. Think about how many people are hurt every day by words spoken in anger because they speak before they think or spoken as gossip because they don't think about what they're saying before they say it. We understand this anger part, but think about gossip. You know, here's the thing. You ask yourself before you say anything, would I say this? Listen, this is so practical. Would I say this the exact same way if the person were standing right here in front of me? Would I say it the exact same way I just said it to this person if they were standing right here in front of me? Or if, you, if I tell Alan, am I comfortable with Alan quoting me when he tells somebody else what I just said? If you're not, then you've hurt someone through gossip and possibly at worst, through slander. I mean, the reality is prayer meetings are usually the worst expression of this. Oh, did you hear about brother so-and-so? Oh, what happened? Well, I don't know. I just know last night they, they, the police went to their house. Don't really know what's going on. I heard the wife screaming inside. We probably should pray for him. Find out later, son got their foot stuck in the toilet and she was screaming because she couldn't get it out. Police had to come and help. Happened to my neighbor across the street. He was three, I was five. His foot got stuck in the toilet and the fireman came, right? Who would have known, right? We never know. Be the think before speaking. The fourth thing we need to ask Jesus to help us do is to ask him, say, Jesus, this week, help me to build others up. Listen, you don't just build others up when you're in their presence. You primarily in your life build others up when they're not with you. Men and women, be careful about how you speak about your spouse to other people. Be careful about how you speak about your children to other people. Be careful how you speak about your neighbor, right? All of your words should be used to build others up because of this. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk does not mean cuss words. That's not what he's talking about. The cuss words, listen, do you, re, you please understand, you, you recognize that the cuss words that we say cuss words as of today were never around up until probably much later than what's was written. The like mother of all cuss words they used in that movie with about Christmas didn't come around until the 1700s. People were put in stockades. My point is this. It's not what it's talking about. Now, it may mean that for you, but what it specifically means is using words that tear other people down, right? Has in mind this using words that injure other people, words that we use that cause dissension or that cause division, right? We're, we understand this. We use words all the time at work. And what are we doing? We're trying to pit this person to get them on our side, to pit them against our boss because they're being mean, right? How many of you, have, how many of you know there's something going on right now with the president and the vice presidents and all these debates, people trying to use words and kind of twisting the truth to, to get you to vote for them? It's happening right now, right? Now, 
the nature of your life is that your words, your, your wholesome speech is the idea of building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen, right? Here's what happens in verse 30. Verse 30 says, For do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. Do you know that 30 was connected to 29? That basically what Jane, excuse me, what, what Paul is saying is that when unwholesome speech comes out of your mouth and it wounds somebody else, that it literally grieves the Holy Spirit. To grieve means to bring sorrow and to hurt. And the word is clear here. When hurtful words that tear others down come from us, right? It brings pain and sorrow to the Spirit of God who's dwelling inside of you. And I mean, even this week, there have been moments I've words that come out of my mouth and the first thought was, oh, God, I'm sorry, because I know that wounded you. Your words don't just have an impact. They don't just stay right here. They go. They're all in the heavenlies and they're affecting the spirit of God who dwells inside of you. And the idea he grieves. Why? He grieves because it's unwholesome. He 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 grieves because it's tearing others down and it's, he's grieving because it never benefits anyone who's listening to you. Words matter. The word is clear for us. We must begin to speak, put a bit in our mouth. Let's have a rudder in our mouth that keeps positive, life-giving words coming out. We're speaking life. Love, listen, no one should ever talk again about our small groups being so simple because they're talking about love. Why? Love is easy to talk about, it's easy to theologize, it's easy to define, and it's unbelievably difficult to flesh out reality of love it's measurable not in a scientific way because the people in your life in a matter of seconds they can tell me they can tell you whether you are loving or not because they measure it by watching you and they measure it by your words and the holy spirit is grieved and if he's grieved, if he's grieved, suffers, then it means he celebrates. There's always an opposite. It means he celebrates when we build others up, when we speak life into them, and we speak truthfully in the words that we speak to other people about other people. Let's pray.